0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Derek Cooper, contrasting Christianity with some new religious movements to better reach our neighbors. As our culture has really changed and there are now
1: people from lots of different religious traditions or none at all, and thinking about ultimately as our calling as Christians to always be sharing our faith and to be talking to people. and. This necessitates therefore that we have to learn more about the traditions of the people so that we can have more effective conversations.
0: Derek Cooper, next. In his new book, Christianity and New Religious Movements, Dr. Derek Cooper delves into some of the most historic, most prominent, and most recognizable new religious movements. He focuses on those with members we have a significant chance of meeting. Derek is managing director of the Thomas Institute, an educational travel company that specializes in learning on location. Derek, what was your motivation for writing Christianity and New Religious Movements? When I was in high
1: school, I moved to Brazil, and for me, it was something that opened up an entire world that I was really unfamiliar with. So I grew up in East Texas, and travel was not something that we really did in our family. So I had this opportunity to travel overseas and to live overseas, and it really opened up my mind Hmm. to thinking about new cultures and different kinds of religious traditions. And I guess you could say the book really started there although that was a long time ago, and eventually over the years I went and did school and graduate school and became a professor and was writing other works. But I was always really curious about how other people express their faith. So you mentioned that I wrote a book, Christianity in World Religions, and this was essentially the prequel Hmm. to the book on Christianity, New Religious Movement. So I was really inspired in the last few years to take focus on the newer religions, because many years ago, I wrote that book on world religions, some of the religions that we've heard of before, like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism that have been around for thousands of years. But a lot of people enjoyed that book, and they were curious about these newer religions, ones that have only been around maybe for a couple of hundred years. So that really gave me the focus and the energy and the enthusiasm to try to do a similar thing as that book but to focus on these newer religions
0: so you're saying these new religious movements they as opposed to thousands of years they've been around for perhaps some hundreds of years
1: yeah exactly so the term that i use in the book for the title is new religious movements and it might be a new term for a lot of people but essentially what it's trying to do is to capture a few terms that we have used a lot over the years but not with a lot of great precision. And those are words like cults and words like sex, S-E-C-T-S. So we use those terms a lot, and they always have a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. But in the last few decades, scholars have really tried to find a a better term term, as a catch-all term for all of these new religious movements or all of these cults and sects and other new faiths that have emerged. And so that's the term that we've settled on. And basically what I do from there is to think if there's thousands of these faith traditions, most of them very small, but some of them more significant that have developed in the last couple of hundred years. And I try to take the ones that are most influential, especially in our
0: American culture. Well, how did you choose these particular ones? And I know you you lay the book out, you, you divide them up uh, in certain ways.
1: Yeah, I chose these because I was thinking about the American context and thinking about for what are the most influential religious traditions that we might encounter in America, or just thinking about the religious traditions that I wasn't able to cover in the first book, which is the world religions. And then after that, it was essentially trying to understand, well, we know that we have 1000s of these, but we can't cover all of those. So thinking about what are the ones if if you were to meet someone, maybe as a co-worker, or maybe you're at a coffee shop, or just maybe it's a neighbor, and if you were to have a conversation with them and they were from a different religious tradition, they were not Buddhist or a Muslim, but maybe they were Mormon, or maybe they were Baha'i. So you're more likely to meet those individuals than some of the other much more smaller new religious movements. So that's how I settled on those, just thinking about what are the ones that you're most likely to, you know, to face on, if not a daily basis, certainly on a more ongoing basis. And then I arranged them according to Basically, the way it works is you have the world religions, and all of the world religions eventually have new groups that emerge, kind of like renegade groups. Hmm. And then I, I arrange these new religious movements based off of the bigger
0: world religions. Why do you believe, or, or or how important is it, I should say, for Christians to to know about these groups?
1: Yeah, to me, it's something that I talk about in my first book on Christianity and world religions, and. One of the things that I do in my work is that I take groups overseas to the lands of the Bible. And when we're there, we are really in the historical context of Jesus and of Paul and of Peter. And when you're there in context, one of the things that you're able to realize is how much people like Paul, for instance, really engaged people all around him from lots of different religious traditions. So this year, for instance, I was taking a group. uh, It was a church, and we were in Athens. And there in Athens, we're walking in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And when you're there, for instance, on Mars Hill, which is this area that's uh, right next to the Parthenon in the center of Athens, there's a story that's told in the Bible. It's in Acts chapter 17, where Paul gives a very compelling preaching message to all of the people around there, and they would have been of other religious traditions. There were different statues to different gods and goddesses, and that wasn't an isolated event. When you look at the context of Paul, everywhere he went throughout places that are today called Greece and Turkey and Israel, he was constantly engaging people from different religious traditions, and we really, in many ways in the West, have kind of come back to that context where uh, 50 years ago, we could just generally assume that a lot of people in American culture or even Western culture were basically Christian. They came from similar presuppositions and assumptions, but that's no longer the case today as our culture has really changed and there are now people from lots of different religious traditions or none at all. And thinking about ultimately as our calling as Christians to always be sharing our faith and to be talking to people. And this necessitates, therefore, that we have to learn more about the traditions of the people so that we can have more effective conversations, uh, being people like Paul, who you know, Paul would quote uh, different lines uh, from religious text. And so thinking about that familiarity is what enabled him to be so effective uh, sharing the gospel.
0: And in your book, you say uh, one thing that you hope that this information will equip people to do, and you essentially said this in other words already, but to engage with them with a confessional and a compassionate Christian perspective. And I'm wondering, what does that mean, confessional and compassionate?
1: Yeah. So those two terms really jump out at me because on the one hand, there are increasingly a lot more resources available for people who want to learn about other religious traditions. But unfortunately, they're not written from a faith perspective. They're just simply giving us information about some kind of religion, for instance, Baha'i, and not any tools to be able to engage that from a Christian worldview. So when I say confessional, What I'm referring to is a couple of different things. So I'm thinking of small confessional as well as big confessional. So, one in the sense of classical Christianity. In classical Christianity, we have these creeds that go all the way back into the early days of Christianity. For instance, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. So these are summaries of our faith that Christians have always held. And then, thinking more recently, since the time of the Reformation, There have been different traditions and thinking of the Reformed tradition, for instance, we have a variety of different confessions of faith that affirm all of the tenets of the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, but have some more specific parts. So thinking on the one hand, I'm writing from that perspective and wanting to give tools to Christians where it's not just information uh, that they're getting, but they're also getting the ways to discern and to understand from a biblical perspective on these different kinds of faith and the compassionate part is because i've seen there's a a tendency in a lot of areas that you would see where people are talking about other religions and and there's a there's a temptation and i understand the temptation but the temptation is to say there's nothing of value of these other religions and uh, that they're satanic in orig- origin or they're just a, a lot of kind of negative things um, specifically mm. too, where we kind of um, we pull something that's not really true from that religion. And we say, see, this is why the whole religion is false. And when I say compassionate, I'm just trying to think about, uh, you know, Jesus says, let, let the one who is without sin, you know, cast the first stone and thinking about for most people around the world, the faith that they hold to is just simply the faith that they were born into. Uh, it's the culture that they were born into, and so to to think about engaging with them in a compassionate way, where we're not trying to say that everything that is about their life is wrong and is worthless, uh, but trying to build bridges in a way to say, yeah, we we understand, uh, understand, and so. It's just kind of bridging the gap between those two, because I see um, either extremes, but saying, no, like, we have certain beliefs that we believe as Christians that we're not going to give away. At the same time, we can talk with people in a way where we're trying to be more positive and upbeat as opposed to just being completely critical and negative in every way.
0: Well, the book is Christianity, and New Religious Movements: An Introduction to the World's newest faiths my guest is the author dr Derek cooper he's also managing director of the thomas institute well your book is laid out it uh, it's divided into five broad parts and then you have a couple of uh, i guess you could call them offshoots of these world religions that you're taking a look at that you consider new religious movements and wondering if you could first give us kind of an overview of what's in the book there and then i'll come back and maybe we can just briefly take a look at each of those
1: Yeah. So thinking about world religions, we have these religions that have been around for thousands of years. And I talk about those in that previous book. So for instance, religions like Judaism and Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam, Confucianism and Taoism, and Christianity, of course, would be in that as well. But thinking about those, those are the dominant religious traditions of the world. But what happens is over time, each of those major world religions has individuals and then communities that emerge and over time those new communities become separate from the parent religion and they become kind of like a child or a grandchild of of a religion and so that was a natural way to organize the book and to think about if we think about those world religions and I'll just give an example for instance when it comes to hinduism which is the dominant religious tradition and the oldest religious tradition in greater India. And this is a religion that's been around for thousands of years. And thinking about that religion, it had a lot of different offshoots, or that is sibling or, you know, really you know, grandchild kind of religions. One of those was Buddhism, which became its own world religion. But a couple of minor ones emerged too. for instance, what's called Sikhism, and then another religion called Jainism. So both of those emerge out of Hinduism. But over, you know, a long period of time, they essentially become separate from that. Now, more to home, thinking about Christianity, there are two religious traditions that emerged out of Christianity that have a similar history but became their own religion and that would be mormonism and jehovah's witness so we don't really regard them as part of classical christianity because their beliefs and their practices have taken them outside of the mainstream but if you would look about where they came from a couple of hundred years ago you wouldn't necessarily think that they would have been labeled a sect but over time they've shown that they are
0: you have a few others kind of offshoots of uh Islam, the the Bahai, mm-hmm. and the Nation of Islam, uh, and then the the pagan new religious movements, Wicca, and Scientology, and then now I wanted to ask you too about the uncommitted, uh, mm-hmm. the atheism, and the nuns. Well, I'm wondering why you would consider those religious movements because you think kind of by definition, uh, people that would not profess a religious movement or would, would be atheists are, do not believe in God or they're not really religious.
1: Yeah, a couple of things there. So w- what's really interesting about world religions, and just religious traditions in general, is I'm going to say something that might be shocking to a lot of people, but most religions of the world, and when I say most religions, I'm talking about the majority of them, they don't necessitate any particular belief in a god or goddess. Hmm. So, Judaism is a perfect example. Most Jewish people don't have any faith in God. There's no belief that God exists. But they can still be perfectly good Jewish men and women. And so what it means today to be Jewish has nothing to do with having belief in God. And that can be said for a variety of other religions too. So Hinduism and Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, and many others as well. So there's not a necessity to actually believe something to be religious. So that's something that's very strange because mm. of course, for those of us who are from a Christian context, It's essential that we not just have certain practices, but that we believe certain things, namely that we believe that God exists and we believe specifically in the Trinity. So that's something that's just simply not shared by most religions. So that's kind of the first thing. And once you do that, once you untangle that, then it's really easy to see that there are a lot of people who are religious but don't have any belief. And so thinking about those, and then the the converse, the the opposite is also true, that there's a lot of people that might be, you know, uh, they might have certain beliefs about God, but they don't have any kind of religious association. And that's become much more common in the last few decades. And in the book I talk about this as not being confined to the West because we kind of generally think, well, in the West, a lot of people have become less you know, there, there there's not a Christian culture in the same way. And so it's very common for people not to believe in God. They're atheist or they're agnostic. And that's certainly becoming more true. But it's also becoming more true around the world and even many other religious traditions in Asia and Africa and Latin America. So it just became something that had to be talked about. And, uh, you know, depending on which definition we give to religion, because as of now, there's, there is no unified definition of what religion means. So m- most scholars do is they give different characteristics. So they'll say, you know, when we have these different phenomenon, then we think their religion is going to be there. But there's not actually a definition because, you know, what we will probably say is, well, a religion, a religion is just simply belief in a personal God. That's a very common definition of God. But if we use that definition, That doesn't apply to most religions of the world, so as I've been talking about. So it's actually much more complicated than that. And then once you go in that direction, then you just think, okay, well, agnosticism or atheism, these are certain kind of religious tradition
0: as you have said your book is is broken into hindu with the offshoots of jainism and sikhism uh, islam with the offshoots of uh, bahai and the nation of islam uh, christianity with the offshoots of mormonism and jehovah's witnesses pagan with the offshoots of wicca and scientology and then the uncommitted with the offshoots of atheism and nuns and and i like what you said at the beginning that uh, you've chosen these based upon various things but particularly uh, having a higher chance of meeting people that are particularly in one of these groups and certainly um d- just th- those that perhaps would be of, of most interest with the uh, with the time we have uh, the limited time uh, those that would uh, be offshoots of Christianity that you put in your book mormonism and jehovah's witnesses there 's obviously a high chance of meeting them they have uh, in part of their uh, service uh, part of their religion is is knocking on people 's doors and introducing the residents to the religion i 'm wondering uh, can you for those that may not be familiar, can you maybe contrast? Uh, in in sort of a concise way mormonism and jehovah's witnesses with orthodox christianity or classical christianity i think as you may have called it and then and then how do you recommend that uh christians engage with folks with uh, having in mind uh the apostle paul's uh mission of bringing the gospel to people uh, with different uh religious viewpoints
1: yeah and So exactly as you mentioned, I put Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, which are probably of all the new religious movements that are in the book, those are the ones that are going to be most pertinent and most known uh, among our audience. So when it comes to Christianity, we have two religious traditions that emerged in the early 1800s in America that started out originally as part of the Christian tradition. And then through the new revelations and new interpretations of the individuals connected to those, they became separate religious traditions, which is why we refer to Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness as new religious movements as opposed to Christianity. So both of them emerged in the 1800s in the Northeast. And when it comes to Mormonism, those are most Connected historically to an individual named Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith lived in New York, although he really moved around into a lot of different areas. And beginning in the early 1800s, he claimed to have a series of revelations and visions where God, the Father, as well as the Son and the Holy Spirit, as well as several influential figures in the Bible, different prophets, for instance, came and visited him. And It was on that path that joseph smith started claiming new revelations and new beliefs and that there was a new part of the faith and in short what that was is that jesus came to the americas after his resurrection and established an entire christian community in the Americas that lay dormant for centuries until Joseph Smith was reminded of that community. And he had a book that talks about that history, which you can read about in the book Mormon, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that's the story of Mormonism. I can come back to it, but that's just kind of generally how it eventually moved outside of the mainstream, is claiming new revelations and new religious texts outside of the Bible. Jehovah's Witness didn't have any direct connection to Joseph Smith, but it was other people. One of those was a man named Charles Russell who also grew up in the Christian tradition and eventually in the early 1800s or more later 1800s started having his own Bible study with other people offering new interpretations of the Bible and becoming very focused on end times and a very specific reading of the Bible, and came to have new doctrines that were different from what we've ever had before. And uh, eventually a series of newer people come that take on the leadership of this group, which uh, you know we call Jehovah's Witness. And the term Jehovah is really important there because for Jehovah's Witness, they believe that Jehovah is the only name of God, And that Jesus, for instance, which of course in classical Christianity we've always worshiped as God, Jehovah's Witnesses do not accept Jesus as God. So that is one of the major distinctions and certainly what takes it
0: out of the mainstream of Christianity. You do say in your book, Christianity and new religious movements, and introduction to the world's newest face, that part of your, your reason for introducing us to these groups is so that uh, Christians can, as we talked earlier, confessionally and compassionately engage with them uh, with, with the Christian perspective. What recommendations would you have? I mean, it, we might get bogged down with thinking, well, there are all of these different th- things which take them outside of the mainstream of Christianity. Do we have to get back to those and talk about all of those or, or How do we engage with them? And
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because there is a tendency, the more that we know about something, the more likely we are to talk about it and to have confidence in it. So what I want to preface is to say that I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people's lives. And knowing everything about other religious traditions is not only not necessary, but it's just simply not possible. And that's okay, because we believe in a powerful God who is able to go across all of the things that we know or don't know about other religious traditions. So I would start there so people don't have to feel that they have to to have a PhD level or, you know, uh, of all these religious traditions. So that's the first thing. The second thing would be, though, that the more that we tend to know about a specific religious tradition, the more effective our conversation is. And it's just It's just something that's true across other areas of our lives is that, you know, one of the reasons why we're able to communicate effectively with our loved ones is because we simply know more about them. And because we know more about them and the things that are important to them, we can focus on those matters as opposed to talking about things that are not important to them, which is when we're getting to know people, we really just don't know What's important to them, and so when it comes to Mormonism, for instance, what is really important in Mormonism is one thinking about Joseph Smith and not speaking ill of Joseph Smith, and that's just kind of one thing I would say in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and here's what I would say, and, and this would be true also if it were to, for instance, if we were talking to Muslims, I would say, you know, as Christians, we don't, we just don't have to go there. So. There are ways to engage other people without finding the things that are most important to them and disparaging them. So when it comes to Joseph Smith, we can certainly disagree with the things that he did. But there are other ways to interact with Mormons without saying, Joseph Smith was horrible, he did all of these things and we know what he really only he was only caring about, you know, and so forth and so on. Um, and instead, to think about the things that are important to them. And when it comes to Mormonism, you know, I talk about points of contact in and, and each of uh, these different sections. And so thinking about if we Mormonism, think about Mormonism, there are points of contact. One of those is community and one of those is family. And so thinking about as Christians, Uh, We also care about our communities. We also care about our families. And maybe that would be uh, a bridge uh, or a point of contact as opposed to finding the things that we immediately disagree on. Um, Because I think that's kind of our tendency is we just think about what are the things that we don't agree on and let's just attack those. And thinking there is another way, find the things that we agree on and then let's just kind of move along from there. And then, as we as we go deeper into that, uh, people can trust us a little bit more, and we can build some kind of relationship. And then that allows us to speak more in because um, I think you know, in general, if if we're just thinking, if we meet someone who is critical of the things that we most hold dear, we're probably less likely to <laughs> to trust them or th- to be led by them. Mm-hmm. But if we are talking with people that establish some trust and they establish some connecting points, um, we're more likely to continue the conversation. And so I think about that with, you know, with Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. So um, for Jehovah's Witness, uh, that would be another thing is just not attacking uh, specific doctrines right off the bat and going on the offensive, but being more. And the line of thinking, okay, well, what are some things that we have in common with Jehovah's Witness? And one of those is we we both value the Bible. So, Jehovah's Witness have a very high value on the Bible, and Christians do as well. And so, both of us believe that it's God's Word uh, that's given to humankind. So, thinking about, all right, well, that's a good start. Now, if um, we go there, then we start thinking about differences in interpretation and so forth. So I can, I can go into more detail, but just thinking, I guess, in general of saying, let's focus less on all of the things that we disagree on. Let's not be highly critical or overly critical. Instead, let's think about the things that we agree on and let's try to have a more positive tone so that we ultimately can
0: accomplish more. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Derek Cooper, Managing Director of the Thomas Institute and author of Christianity and New Religious Movements. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Ken Samples on ways the Holy Spirit works in our salvation. But what we discover in in Christianity is that Jesus called God Father, and he told us that we could, and the Holy Spirit brings us into that familial union where we can speak. Uh, Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts crying, Abba Father. That's tomorrow at this same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.